following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. It is Thursday the 3rd of August, it is just coming up to 8 o'clock, and this is Sunday Afternoon Cinema, with me, Crystal Winter, and him, Mike Larkin. A very good evening to you, Mike. Very good evening to you, Chris. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm I'm fine, thanks. Um, A bit tired, but other than that, no complaints. Good, good. So, for those of you who who haven't been listening, rather, and if not, why not? We are continuing down the rabbit hole of the Viewer Skew universe, which we've done uh, two films so far. We've done Clerks and we've done More Rats, and this evening we are going to be continuing along the line with Chasing Amy by the wonderful, the magical, and the one and the gorgeous Kevin Smith. But before we do, uh, before we start talking about the film, um, Mike, you had something you wanted to bring up in regards to Mr. Kevin Smith. So, have at you, sir. Yes, um, now I've been I've been listening to to Mr. Smith's many 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 podcasts. The guy, honestly, the guy works, um, and I've been I've found out a little bit about his upcoming projects. Now we've mentioned on the show before one of his upcoming films is Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which sounds like he's just restarting the entire. The entire universe. He's not. Um, James and Bob reboot is actually serving as a direct sequel to James and Bob Strike Back, and basically it's it's going to be that James and Bob find out that Hollywood is going to reboot the Blunt Man and Chronic characters from the previous movie, and so set off on a wondrous voyage to stop them. Do you think a sequel is really needed? Um, I don't think it's needed. I mean, I, I, I'll enjoy it anyway. I know that much. Um, and from what from what I can gather, with Clerks Three, Kevin had the had the script ready to go, and it seemed like everyone was on board. I know certainly Jeff Anderson was. Really. Yeah. Considering, um, considering how he really didn't want to be involved in Clerks 2 for a very long time. I think I think you're thinking about uh, Brian Jeff, o, uh, Jeff O'Haran or Brian yes. O'Haran? No, no. Um uh, uh, Randall. He he yeah. didn't yeah, he didn't want anything to do with Clerks 2. Uh Brian O'Hallan, he was really up for it, but he basically had to twist Jeff's arm to be involved in Clerks 2. According to Jeff Anderson, and this was on the, I think it was on Smodcast, on two different episodes. He he was up for it from day one. Interesting, because if no, and the only reason I say that is if you watch the um, Back to the Well documentary on the um, Clerks Two uh, DVD, which we will eventually be covering, he gave a very different story to that. I mean, he enjoyed the process when it came down to it, but at the beginning he was like, no, I, I really don't want to go back into this ever again. So that, I don't know, it just seems very strange that he's now saying that he was really up for that. Yeah, I don't know. But basically that's the story about Clerks 3. He, he had a script, everyone was, was on board, but Kevin Smith wouldn't reveal who the, who the one the censor was, the one the censor voice. 
you just said, um, we weren't able to, to to all agree on it, so I've decided not to do that, which is why he's going with uh, with James Allen Bob instead. I mean, I, I don't know how much I necessarily want to see a close free, because I while they set up for a new story to be told at the end of Clerks 2, I don't necessarily think that they need to go any further with it. I mean, you know, obviously we'll cover it a lot in a lot more detail when we come to actually view the film itself, but what do you think? Do you think it was crying out for a sequel, or do you think it was a good closing of the book? I thought, I mean, I enjoy Clerks 2, and, you know, it, it told, told the story, and... I, I think my my personal favourite scene is the uh, Star Wars Star Wars versus the Hobbits, <laughs> if you will. Scene. I have repeated that in pubs before. I have, including the walking. Yeah, <laughs> I but, have. But but let's not go into clerks too, because otherwise, you know. Well, well, not so much spoilers, except we'll start going on about it, and you know, it's it's not why we're here, and we will cover it in a yeah. lot of detail when when we come to actually do the episode. Um, so tell me about Kevin Smith's podcast because I've never actually sat down and listened to it, at least not properly. Oh, well, it depends on which one you listen to, because as I say, he's got he's got numerous podcasts. He's got the Smodcast. He's got Hollywood Babylon. With uh, with Ralph Garman, who, he does one with Jason Mewes, doesn't he? He does, yes. Um, Jay, the latest one I think is Jane and Bob Get Old. That's it, yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating listening to him. I'm listening to his audio book at the moment. His his autobiography on audio book, which deals with. Uh, his experience with Mr. Bruce Willis. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can imagine how that go how Kevin Smith would write out that. I've heard about the moon story, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, anyway, on with the show. Yeah. Um, we are here to talk about the nineteen ninety seven classic Chase Amy. Indeed we uh, are. starring Ben Affleck, Joey Lauren Adams, Jason Lee. And that's it, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, I've done a quick um, character synopsis, and really they are the three main players. I mean, there are other characters, and we probably will talk about them. But... There, are, there are obviously other characters, there always will be, but yeah. you know, they, uh, they're, they're the only ones we really need to concentrate on because the other characters are really satellites yeah. for the others to bounce off. Pretty much. Um, so I've written up uh, the storyline and a brief synopsis of my feelings of this. So if you will, I shall go through the uh, synopsis of the film um, and then read what I've written and then you can contribute if you wish to or what you have to say if that's okay by yourself. That's absolutely fine with me. Cool. Okay, so Chasing Amy, made in 1997 by Mr. Kevin Smith, as we've previously said, is the third film of the Viewerskew universe. Um, following characters who are familiar to ourselves but are somewhat not the same and if you've seen the film you'll know what we mean by that. Um, Chasing Amy follows the lives of Holden McNeil and Banky Edwards, two 20-somethings working as comic group creators. They live the typical lifestyle that most of us would love to live but probably couldn't really afford and realistically you probably wouldn't do it. At a new uh, New York comic book convention rather, 
during a signing for their comic, Blood Man and Chronic. Holden and Banky go to a Q&A to take part in a planned publicity stunt for Hooper X, a comic book writer who takes black stereotypes and turns them up to the max in a hilarious fashion to sell his own comic book. It's brilliant. And after a wonderful playoff between Banky um, and Hooper, Holden meets Alyssa Jones. Being stunned by her beauty and the fact that she loves comic books as much as she does, he falls for her. A few days later, invited by Hoopy, um, to Hooper rather, to a club, Holden and Banky meet um, him again, and Holden ends up meeting Alyssa as she's doing a, a gig there. They meet up, and after a wonderful um, rendition of a song that she actually wrote herself, Holden is falling further and further in love with her, but finds out that she is in fact gay. And after a long after a long conversation, you get the feeling that Holden feels a little bit hurt and a little bit betrayed by this. He never fully expresses the fact that he feels this way, but I personally got the feeling that he felt lied to and that it's important to him that he should have been up front and said, look, I'm gay, you know, I'm sorry, you know, did I not make that clear? He he seemed borderline insulted by this. And fortunately, though, he's still in love with her, and so he goes on to try and change her mind of how she feels for men and for women. He does. He does indeed woo her. Okay, so I would say that it's unfair to um, to say that this is one of Kevin Smith's most coherent films, or suggest that it's one of the few that have a true storyline all the way through it. Because whilst it's true that it does have a very good and coherent storyline, I think that would be dismissive of Morats and Clerks. They had very, you know, they had all over the place storylines, but that doesn't mean that they were bad. Okay, what I think is fair to say is this follows a much clearer story arc, because otherwise I'm not sure how the film would have worked or how it would have been made. This has got a point A, B and C um, this movie, whereas Clerks and Morat, you weren't really sure uh, where where the stories were going. Yeah, I mean, I hate to use the phrase proper film, but it kind of is in comparison to the original two projects. I I would say he's not proper film, but I'd say this is his most mature film. Yes, absolutely. And I'm including his most recent work in that. Of of all his movies, this is the most mature of his film. There's the most true to life for me. I I agree. I mean, it's, it's got a much more succinct storyline, and it follows the rules of storytelling a, a lot more. There are less cutaways, there's less zaniness, and we actually see, you know, that we saw before, and not wishing suggesting there's anything wrong with that, it just feels like a more grown-up film, as you say, that we see to be replicated, in my opinion, in Jersey Girl. But then I think it had to, and actually I really like Jersey Girl. We won't talk about this in this series of films, but I personally love it. To tell oh, this... Well. well, it's not really part of the viewer's Q universe, so... Well, well, if we're going to talk about Red State and all those others, then I think we've got... Yeah, I suppose we could cover it in the end. Um... Where was I up to you? You you put me off. Anyway, yes. So to tell this to tell this love story, which is what's needed, you know, it has to be a bit more grounded and a bit more rooted in reality. And I think that's done very well without the usual schmaltz that you tend to get in films such as this. 
I really enjoyed this film, and I would say that it is possibly one of my favourites of all of Smith's best films, because it breaks boundaries and it breaks rules. If you don't include the brief appearance of Jane Silent Bob, who, to be honest with you, have very little to do with this film, and are actually quite unimportant. I know there's a particular scene where there's a story that where the namesake comes from, but really, if they weren't there... I still think that Ben Affleck would have come to the conclusion that he did. Or indeed, if this hadn't had Smith's name on the poster and people didn't know that he'd made this, I still think it could have been as good. I, I, I'm not sure that that's necessarily important. Um, and if anything, I think I applaud Smith for that anyway. It, I'm not really sure if I'm making any sense here. And if I'm not, I apologise. I think what I'm trying to say is that this is so far removed in a way from Clerks and from Mallrats, you wouldn't believe that Smith had made it, and I think that proves how far along he came as a filmmaker in such a short period of time. Does that make sense? Well, I think, I think, in fairness, of the three, this is the one he had to fight for. Because um, even Miramax wanted uh, named actors in this. They didn't want Ben Affleck and Jason Lee and Joey Lauren Adams. They actually wanted uh I'll find the names now. Um John Stewart, David Schwimmer and Drew Barrymore <laughs> as the lead characters. Now obviously Kevin Smith went to Bob and Harvey Weinstein and said, Listen, I wanna make this film my way um, the budget you've given me is $300, but if you allow me to make this movie on my own, uh, with my actors, you can buy distribution for it if you like it. So Bob and Harvey gave him $250,000 to make the movie, and this, this is what he came up with. Um, well done for them I, for doing it. I applaud him for that because can you? I mean, don't get me wrong. Drew Barry, John Sears and Drew Barrymore are fine actors. <clears throat> John Sears is a comedy genius. David Schwimmer, mm. but can you imagine those three in this film? Well, let's come back to them because that is an interesting conversation. I, I think that is. I think that is something we should definitely cover. Um. Because I've just got a little bit more about say about the say uh, say about the film in general. I think it's for me this is still breaking boundaries in how many people see the LGB community. It, it it's actually quite a good representation for how certain people see the LGBT community and how they think gay people are. It yeah. questions and it challenges and it breaks tradition of how cinema is and the way it's seen. I think it also forces people to say yeah. I say faggot. Really? Why am I saying the word faggot? He even calls him out on it. And I thought, you know what? Good on Kevin Smith for putting that line in. I know that people say, oh, it's just it's just a word. It doesn't hurt anyone. Well, I'm here to fucking tell you it hurts. Don't use it. It just makes you look immature. So really, get over it. At least I hope that works. And if not, then, you know, it's possibly lost on some... In one way, what this in one way the film represents Holden in a bad light 
and in a good light. He tries to say to Alyssa, you know, you can change. You can change who you are. As if being gay is some kind of a disease that needs to be removed. Or a pair of shoes you can just take off and change. Exactly. I mean, I don't believe he is actually trying to be offensive or horrible. I think he's just very naive and he can't understand why Alyssa would choose to be with a woman over a man. He can't seem to understand why she would choose this life for herself. It's almost as if he feels that she's not giving being straight a chance and that maybe she can change if she chooses to, which is not only presumptuous, but it's also rude and a little bit offensive. Um, it is and it isn't, because, I mean, both Holden and, ba- and Banky have that idea. Um, well, they do, but the difference between Holden and Banky is that Banky doesn't explicitly try to change anything, whereas Holden's very much like, you know... It, well, he, he does believe he can change her, and at the end of the day, he has absolutely no right to do that. Just, I, as she says, just because he falls in love with her doesn't mean that he has any right to say what he says. No, absolutely not. But at the same time, you kind of have to applaud him just for, in a way, putting himself out there so much. No, fair play. No, I, I, I agree, to be fair. I think, you know... It, yeah, I kind of agree with you there. I mean, there's there's a few things that you, you hear in modern society. You know, have you tried not being gay? How do you know you're gay? Is this an attention thing? I, thankfully, have never been asked these questions, mainly because I don't really put my sexuality out there, but I know a lot of people who have to justify their very I, existence. I do too. And have, you, have you tried not being gay? <laughs> that type of thing. Have you tried... Yeah, yeah, you know. You know. To which I say, have you tried being gay? No? Then shut up and leave me yeah. alone. Don't criticise my choice if you haven't tried it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's almost like they feel they have to justify other people's existences. It's like, you know what, no, just leave us alone. Just leave us to it. I'm, yeah, I'm you... nearly done. I, pro- I promise I'm nearly done. Because <laughs> um, I realise I've been going on for quite some time just summarising this the film for me is as groundbreaking today as it was 20 years ago because it still breaks stereotypes that people still seem to have today it does not insult nor does it make a mockery of homosexuality in the community in any way and it's very clear that Smith took an awful lot of time over this film and rather like Dogma you know he took care over the material he was writing and made sure that he was doing it correctly and if, if anything, this actually makes fun of the street community. I say way, more it than it does. Yeah, and and considering when this was made back in 1997, where things were not the way they are now, it's incredibly brave. But I've yeah. spoken far too much already. So take take me through. You you can talk for a while there, Mike. I'll sit um, well, I mean, we start we start off with, as you say, it's. The comic, comic book convention, which 20 years ago, I mean, they weren't quite the events they are now. Um, and Banky getting, getting told he's not an Inca, he's a tracer. He just <laughs> traces and getting involved in a fight. Oddly enough, with uh, with Ben Affleck's little brother. Um, 
And then after the fight, they go into a what would you call it? a seminar sort uh, of thing? I thought it was a Q and A. A Q and A, um, with the aforementioned Hubert X, who, um, I don't know if you ever can even say the name of his, of his comic. Um, <laughs> let's call it white hating black man. Yes. Um, and he somehow how it's breaking breaking stereotypes, and you know, it's. And it leads to a wonderful line of, of Jason Lee. And Jason Lee kind of, again, he steals the show in this. Oh, he does. Um, with with his, his classic line, what's a Nubian? Obviously, Jason Lee is there knowing that Hooper X is a friend of his, but nobody else in the audience knows this. Um, and starts winding him up with these really kind of obtuse questions. I, um, I, I also I love the line where he's um, they talk about uh, Star Wars. And it's like, well, Darth Vader was black, and it's like, oh, there's always going to be some white folk. Bring up the holy trilogy. The holy trilogy. You know that he's the blackest man in the universe, and then they take off his helmet, and what do you see? An, An old, old crusty white man. White guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so brilliant. I think that everybody, everybody wants to be white. Well, well don't, don't they? they? <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. Hooper X pulls out a gun, <laughs> shoots it at Banky, and Banky presents. Banky falls down, and we find out it's it's all an act. It's it's part of Hooper X's kind of stage show. Um, and Hooper X is really a kind of a meek-mannered um, black homosexual. But, of course, nobody would buy his comic book if they knew that. So he has yeah. to put on this show. One thing that um, did bother me, though, at the very start, sorry. Sorry? Uh, sorry, just just one thing that did bother me when I, um, when I started watching at the very beginning, though, was um, when the fan called uh, Banky a tracer, and he said to him, what do you call someone who draws over someone else's work and then claims it to be their own work? And he says, well, I'd call him a tracer. And he's like, yeah, but he's not drawing over his own work. He's filling in the work. So really, if yeah. anything, he's a colour inner more than a tracer. But, you know, but carry on. Well, I mean, he does trace as well. But, it, but he adds, bit, but, as, yeah. as he says, he adds he shade and contact and, uh, you know, all that shit. Um, but back to the story. Um, he's on this panel with this Q and A panel with uh, with another comic book artist, Alyssa Jones. Is it Alyssa? Yes, it is Alyssa. Yep. Um, who I don't know about you, but the the very first time I saw this film, I fell in love. With Joey Lauren Adams. I, I think you'd have to be dead not to fall in love with Joey Lauren Adams. Because, um, I mean, she is just... It's not that she's cute or not that she's stunningly attractive, just something about her. Um, I don't know what it is, but yeah, head over heels in love with a man. Um, anyway, they kind of get talking and they end up going 
for a, a few drinks. And as you say, you know, the burgeoning friendship grows from this. And over time, due to a series of, I think, misunderstandings, really, I don't think she ha- she hid it from him. And she didn't really come out and tell him, because let's face it, it was none of his business whether she was gay or not, but eventually finds out she is gay. Which he, I, I only noticed before watching it back um, how you can see it's kind of like a weight being lowered from one to the other because as Ben Affleck's face drops, um, Jason Lee's brings it into this massive smile. Exactly oh, yes. the same time. Yeah, th- this was a uh, this was a scene in a club where Alyssa is um, singing an amazing song that she wrote herself, and Alyssa beckons um, her girlfriend, well, her side of on and off girlfriend, and like you say, it suddenly dawns on them both exactly what's going on. Ben, uh, sorry, Holden is completely crestfallen. Banky's just like. Oh my god, this is the funniest thing in the world. And it's just so Now related. that, my friend, is a shared moment. <laughs> and then, what what I also love, and I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched it, was when it was all going down and you suddenly started hearing the alarm bells ringing and red lights flashing away when Banky's looking around himself and um, sees numerous women. And it's just wonderfully executed and wonderfully shown. Yeah. It's that moment of, wait, 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 oh, it's a gay club. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, I mean, it, I, I don't want to, I do want to say it, because, it, I mean, Banky's reaction is such a straight guy reaction. Oh, it is. It <laughs> is, yes. And I mean, I've seen it happen. I have seen it happen in real life to a friend of mine, um, and it's it's a sight to behold when it happens. Because obviously you know, but the other person hasn't got a clue, uh, or at least you've got an idea, I should say, um, and the other person hasn't got a clue, and you just watch the the face suddenly drop. And it's it's funny to watch. I mean, I I did like um, that reaction because again, I thought it was very well handled. Like like I say, I don't feel that Alyssa was any position where she ever had to tell um, Holden um, her sexuality to begin with, and I think it's very you know. And again, it is very much like real life. You know that there seems to be this idea that if you if you are gay, you have to put it out there. Or you would deal to a certain stereotype. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I I think at the time, there was probably, I think a lot of people thought, well, lesbian is obviously going to be butch with a short haircut and Doc Martens. A a, a lesbian couldn't possibly be small, petite and blonde, because that's just not, how we how we view them, um, and and that's why it was challenging. I think at the time, is was those stereotypes? 
Yes, it very much changed um, the perception, probably, for an awful lot of people. I mean, thinking back to 1997, I can't really remember that much, to be fair. I was still quite young in 97. Um, how old you were, were you? You were, bless. Sorry? I said, you were, bless you. <laughs> uh, how old were you in 97? I was 18. Okay, so was there much of a gay movement when you were when you were doing your thing in the pubs and clubs? I didn't do my thing in the pubs and clubs. I was working at ET. <laughs> I had a full time job, sixty hours a week. You 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 weren't you weren't a student like me, taking money off mummy and daddy and living off the state. No, I uh, I work for a living. Fair play, fair play. Um, as I say, I was doing sixty hours a week from the age of tw- of eighteen to probably twenty one. So, when I drank, it was usually Friday, Saturday night with the guys I worked with. Mm. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, in a location where the whole, uh, whole homosexuality thing was certainly not something that was ever seen, and it certainly was never heard. Uh, it's only since I've moved to Liverpool that it's really something that's... Uh, even even into my stratosphere, as it were, and I think it's great how far things things have come. There's still a lot of things that need to change. There's still a lot of things that could be done a lot better. But fair, but it's good that it's at least getting where it is today. Yeah, it's where it needs to be. Um, I mean, to, to be honest, we'll. I don't think that the changes we want will happen in our lifetime because. Just people, basically people. Yeah. Um, and that that's why we're always going to have hate crimes. We're always going to have war. We're always going to have people being dicks because people. And that's the simplest reason I can give for for everything is people are dicks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think? Smith was trying to change the world, and tr- as it were, and trying to gain, change the um, misconceptions of homosexuality when he was initially making this film. Do, do you think that was the aim of what he was trying to do? I don't think it was. Um, I mean, Smith based a lot of this off his own experience with Joey Lauren Adams, who he was dating at the time, and uh, how he felt. Um, I, obviously, I don't think it was that she was she was lesbian. I think it was that um, she was in some ways more experienced than he was, more worldly. Um, and he kind of felt um, intimidated. If that makes sense. No, it it does. To be honest, with you. I mean, do you? How sensitively and how well do you think this film handled the storyline in general? Do do you think it what do you think it did treat it with the sincerity, and with the level that it had to? Because I personally think it did. I I think it did a very good job of it. I think it did. Um, because it could have gone. I mean, it could have gone massively one way or the other. Um, you go too far in one direction. And it becomes a, a fluff film. It's it's like any one of a number of you know connected kit films that you can name. Um, you know Valentine's Day shit like that with whichever actor happens to be popular at the time. 
you go too far the other way and it becomes massively offensive. Yes. There is a very fine line to tread there. I mean, don't get me wrong, while there are parts of certainly the characters and the way they, they come across, that is offensive. That's because it's intended to be... Uh, it's, it's meant to be... Not, not 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 meant to be offensive, but kind of, you know, Smith look, saying, look how much of a dick these guys are. Yeah, there's very much that cons- that um, idea of a film that involves, especially lesbians, that it has to go in some way. And I just want to adopt a Vince McMahon style for a moment. Like, women, lesbians, yeah, get them on the show. That's what he would do, let's be honest, back in the attitude era. And, uh, and of course, you've got the king with puppies. Oh, God. Puppies! Fuck. I mean, I do remember seeing uh, a film. I saw a film! Oh, God, what was it called? That's a surprise. I know. Give me a minute. When did, when did you see this film? It was a few years ago, and it's going to bother me now. I need to find it. I'm sorry. This is going to annoy me otherwise. Uh, amuse yourself for a minute. Musical interlude, folks. I'll try and find some music. Just put some music on until he's ready. Um, oh, God, who was in it? Oh, this is really bad. This is really bad. Sorry, I'll not be too long. The only way I can find this film is by looking up the OC. This is really bad. Right, okay. <laughs> Misha Barton, she was in it. Right. Come on, we're nearly there. Come on, IMDb. Internet harder. Where's it gone? Where's it gone? Where's it gone? Oh, for fuck's sake. There we go. Lost in Delirious. You ever seen it? Ever heard of it? Uh, haven't, and I haven't. It's okay. I'll briefly go over it, but I won't go on about it too much. Um, it's basically uh, about a group of girls who are growing up in a girls' boarding school, and two of the girls that the Misha Bartikarian character um, befriends happen to be lesbians. It's a very well-told story. I won't go into too much more than that. But the reason I brought it up is because I remember a few years ago that it was on that god-awful TV channel, Men and Motors. Oh, God, yeah. Now, I know for a fact that it was on Men and Motors because someone said, It's got a word, lesbian! I said, yeah. It's also a beautifully filmed beautifully scripted stunning film that shows love in its purest sense but i doubt that's the reason why you chose to show it in the first place no lesbians i'm quite certain that's the main reason it was involved i mean that's the only reason most channels show movies if you think about it yeah um i mean what's that what's that one with um matt dillon and um nev campbell Oh, um, yes, Wild Things. Wild Things, which we are going to, which we're going to talk about, actually. Um, At some I mean, stage. The, only, the only reason people watch that is for the three-way scene in the pool. Yeah, yeah. Which I actually, I actually rewatched that the other day. God, it's a pile of wank. It is, but you know, no, it's it. no, it's terrible. It's horrible. It's stupid. And we are going to review it. Um, Because Anthony wants to talk about it. So we will review it at some point. 
Oh, God. Um, okay, so do we have much more to say about the story um, or the film itself, or should we start talking a little bit of the characters? And let's then let's dive into the characters, because I think this is where we're going to get the real meat off the bones here. Agreed. Okay, so let's start from the top. Just waiting for my IMDb to... Now, a little, little fun fact while waiting for your IMDb. Mm-hmm. Um, on all the promotional material for this film, Ben Affleck appears shaven, appears clean-shaven, mm. despite the fact that he's got a goatee. The worst in the goatee film. in the world. It is It is the worst goatee in the world. Did, However, did, bear, did bear in mind... Sorry, What's did, that? It, did it not bug you? That there was a it, little bit of hair missing from the from the moustache to the bottom of it. Yes, it did. <laughs> ah! um, that really annoyed me. Um, I don't know whether that's whether it was a fake whether it was a fake beard or whether that was indicative of a better like actual beard grow, growing prowess at the time. I just don't think he could grow a proper goatee. Um, I mean, he can now. I think. Good on him. He's grown up and learned how to grow a beard. Um. And also, on the on the actual commentary for the film, somehow um, George Clooney gets brought up. Now, bear in mind, this is 20 years ago. George Clooney had just been in the ER, yeah. and he'd also just been cast as Batman. Okay. So, Ben Affleck says, I, yeah, I could play a paediatrician. And Kevin Smith says, but could you play Batman? And he does. And he does, 20 years later, and Kevin Smith was pleased as punch. <laughs> okay, so the aforementioned Ben Affleck and Holden McNeil. Uh, as I said in the start, we saw Ben Affleck originally in More Rats as a slimy, horrible bastard, a completely different character to this one. He's also He also plays this slimy, horrible bastard. Bear in mind, Alyssa mentions in the arguments outside the hockey game, she mentions that she let ha- Shannon Hamilton videotape them having sex, only to have them broadcast the video on the college campus th- cable station. Ben Affleck played Shannon Hamilton, where he's videotaped having sex with Alyssa's sister Trisha. Yes. Uh, you see, this is actually something that I was going to talk about later, but le- you know what? Let's just bring it up now. There are so many links to every other Kevin Smith film. It's actually difficult to keep up. It is, because the timeline kind of skews all over the place, because Clerks is the first film in the series. But if you actually go from the timeline, it's third in the timeline. Because it, it only just occurred to me when I was watching it again um, yesterday, I actually watched it twice in one week to make some notes about it, was... The scene, and I know we're jumping ahead of ourselves here, but the scene in um, in, in um, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, rather, where Kevin's the Jason um, and Kevin characters go to see uh, the Ben Affleck character and say, you know, where's our money? And Holden turns around and says, that's not my thing anymore, that's Banky's thing. And we see Holden and Banky splitting up as creators at the end of the film, and that's where they get the money. And it's just like... This was so thought out. It's brilliant because of that. But anyway, um, so what 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 did you think of the Holden McNeil character as a whole? I mean, I thought he's, he's obviously young, as you say, twenty-something guy. He's not not really been around much. He's not experienced much of life by this point. 
Um, so he's he's a little bit naive to the ways of the world and the ways of women, and I think he's probably a little bit self obsessed in that, as you said before, you know, he kind of tries to convince her, look, I'm the I'm the best goddamn thing since sliced bread. You can't possibly be lesbian around me. Just fucking look at me. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how his attitude comes across at times. But the the scene in the car, I absolutely applaud both the writing and the acting in that scene. Because that is just... If you're going to reveal to a, to a girl who may or may not be interested in you... That is the way to do it. Uh, it was a bit over the top for me, I've got to say. But he put himself a bit out there a little bit too much for me. I, I felt, uh, you're a bit of a bit rag made, but I can see what you mean. I see what you're saying. Or maybe I'm just a bit nasty in that I'm, way. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm not saying go quite that OTT. Where she kind of feels pressured into me. Um, but that is... it. At that time, I think it was probably... I mean, this this role was written for Ben Affleck. I don't know if you know this or not. Um, but, no, I didn't. Because Ben Affleck at the time wasn't a leading man. He, he hadn't been... Older, he? he hadn't been in a leading role. Um, and Kevin Smith said you know listen you've got you know you've got the looks to to be a leading man i'm gonna write this for you and he did um so it was kind of tailored more for ben affleck um so whether that is is the way ben affleck delivered the lines or whether that's the way kevin smith kind of told him to deliver the lines i'm not sure but I think it's I think it's wonderfully scripted, um, and it's 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 honest. I think is the is the word I'm looking for. Um, it it's how somebody might might do that in real life if they were a bit dramatic. What did you think in terms of his character development and and and, and the way he played the character in comparison to more rats? He his character didn't really develop, did he? Um, he kind of went from a kind of alright dude at the beginning to wow you're a bit of a dick <laughs> at the end I mean I th- I'm towards the end I should say because at the end he actually pulls it back and kind of saves a bit of grace but I, again I don't know if, that, if that's the way it was written or whether that's the way Kevin Smith intended it um, for him to come across as a bit of a dick Maybe he did. Um, that's certainly the way I felt anyway. I mean, don't be wrong, I liked his character a lot. Mm. Uh, and there's a reason, obviously this is the reason we're talking about it now. It's nearly 20 years later. Um, but if I was if I was given the choice of who to hang out between him and Banky, Banky all day long, <laughs> and that's not yeah. because that's not because you know Banky's any more any more of a decent guy because Banky himself is a massive massive tool 
but he just he's, he comes across as a bit less self-absorbed. We'll, we'll come on to banking in just a minute, but before we do, um, off the top of your head, don't even think about it for more than a second. Best role Ben Affleck's done. Go. Um, I'm trying to think of the character name from Dogma. Oh, Bartleby. Bartleby. Is that your favorite? Is that your favorite? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. All day long, man. Fair play. Um, I gotta say, mine was Jim Young in Boiler Room. I know it was a very small part, but the role he played in that was absolutely fantastic, and he had some of the best dialogue that I think he's ever had in any kind of a film. In any it's, film. it's it's been years since I've seen Boiler Room, and I keep meaning to watch it. Oh, you need to come round and we'll watch it at some point, because you know we'll watch it again at some point. Because his delivery is wonderful. He only has a few lines, but the lines he gets are fantastic. But Let's move away from Boiler Room because otherwise I'm going to be because I really could do an entire hour just about that film on its own. <laughs> so let's talk about the uh, Jason Lee and Banky Edwards character. You said that you'd rather hang around with him, and I don't necessarily blame you for that. It's I'll say it's just because Banky is is he's a street shooter. Mm. You know he he doesn't mess around, and you know even though he is massively knobbish. Uh, he's his heart in the right place. He's trying to say to his mate, "Listen, this is gonna, this is gonna fuck you up. It's gonna fuck me up. It's gonna fuck her up. It's gonna fuck everyone up. Back away from this now." And in a way, I think he's almost more mature than yeah. Holden, because, like you said, he doesn't. He he sees it for what it is. It, I. I don't think he's being deliberately offensive. He just doesn't have a filter, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. He he, he just he doesn't know how to word it. So he so that's the way he words it is just very bluntly and you know, including the wonderful line that comes out of nowhere. Archie is not fucking Mister Weatherby. <laughs> In the a, in the bar scene at the beginning. To give a bit of context to that line, um, basically there's a conversation between Banky and um, Hooper X, and Hooper tells to a crushed Banky that basically the whole of the Archie comics is about a, a group of great of gay men, and he just he just cannot accept it, and he says, "Look, you, let's go and buy a load of comics, and I will prove to you that he is not gay." and the conversations between Hooper and Banky during that particular scene are just so funny, and I'm not going to try and quote them because they're because I can't remember them, but they're just wonderful. Um, I can get them off off now for you. I'm actually um, just trying to find them at the moment to see if I can find them. Um, and also another another line reading as well. And again, I don't want to sound offensive in this, but it kind of sums up. How banky, how banky is? Where he says, um, "If I, you know what, no, I'm not going to say it because it is actually kind of offensive, and I don't really want to go down that road." If, you if I, if I, if I can find the line, will you say yes or no? If I say the line, it's basically. I think you'll remember it. It's the one about the four way road. Oh yeah, yeah, I know exactly the one. Um, I don't know how to feel about it because, as good as the intentions were. And as much as I don't think 
Kevin Smith was trying to be offensive. He was, you know, he was just representing a certain uh, demographic and how people saw it. I'm, I'm torn because I don't want to say it because it feels wrong to you know what I mean. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, it's, let me find the line. <laughs> If if my computer will wake up, <laughs> <sighs> I swear they must be on the time share. Your computer and mine, because <laughs> anytime my mine is going fast, yours is slow, and anytime yours is going fast, mine's slow. <laughs> right, uh, quotes. We can cut this. Yeah. <laughs> Probably for the best. Not that I actually do. I, I don't ever bother editing. Alright. Now, it's a two-way between Banky and, and Holden. So, if I do Banky, can you do Holden? Uh, yes. Let me just bring it up from my side. Because I did have it and then I scrolled down. Where's it gone? Where's it gone? Where's it gone? Oh, for God's sake, I had it a minute ago. Uh, hang on a second, let me just do a search for it again. Uh, yes, okay, yep, go for it. Okay. Alright, now see this? This is a four-way road, okay? And dead in the centre is a crisp new $100 bill. Now, at the end of these streets, of each of these streets, are four people, okay? You following? Yeah. Good. Over here, we have a male affectionate, easy to get along with, non-political agenda lesbian. Down here, we have a man-hating, angry as fuck, agenda of rage, bitter dyke. Over here, we got Santa Claus, and up here, the Easter Bunny. Which one is going to get the $100 bill first? What's this supposed to prove? No, I'm serious. This is a serious exercise. It's like an SAT question. Which one is going to get the $100 bill first? The male-friendly lesbian, the man-hating dyke, Santa Claus, or the Easter Bunny? The Manhattan Dyke. Good. Why? I don't know. Because the other three are figuring to your fucking imagination. It's and a, that... Yeah, it's a good line. But, and it is, don't get me wrong, and it's wonderfully delivered. It really is, especially that, because the other three are figuring to your fucking imagination. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful delivery. I just... I really found the depiction of the man-hating dyke, as it were. I, I, if, yeah, I just couldn't get on board with that. Borderline offensive. Yeah. You know. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've met and known many lesbians in my time, some of whom could potentially be labelled as man-hating dykes. Certainly they weren't overly fond of, the, of most of the male species. Um... Put put it this way, if I went into Les into the Lisbon tomorrow night, and I said that, even just those you know those three words, men hating dyke, I would expect to get punched in the mouth, and frankly, I probably would have had it coming. Absolutely. Um, I mean, don't be wrong. There are possibly some people in there if you know them that you could get away with saying it to. If it was kind of whispered, mm. 
Um, but you would have to know them incredibly well to know if you could say that or not. Um, and I mean, people probably have said it in the in the past, or probably said a lot worse. In fact, probably have with it being that. with it being the Lisbon. I mean, I, um, I I wouldn't claim to I wouldn't claim to have been in there for many years, but you know, it's it started to become one of my favourites, and I'm still a bit unsure as to what I, what what you would say to be fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a difficult one, but um, I mean, just just for some background context here, folks, if you're not familiar with Liverpool or um or our Georgian quarter, uh, the Lisbon is is a, well, it would be classed as a gay bar, but I think it's more kind of cosmopolitan than that. <laughs> um, you don't have to be gay to go in there. It helps, but um, it's a bar. They serve food, and yeah, basically that's it. Um, but it's, it's probably one of Liverpool's one of, if not the most famous uh, gay bars in Liverpool. Um, and you can go in there most nights of the week, enjoy yourself, and you'll see a wide variety of people uh gay straight le- um lesbian bisexual cross-dressers transgender i mean it's 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 kind of a melting pot in there uh would you agree absolutely and it's one of the few places i think you can go where you don't feel there's a level of hate um from people it's just you can go in there be yourself and no one seems to bat a eyelid no, it's just the general level of disdain, I think, rather than hate. <laughs> Plus, I think it's I think it's one of the nicest. It's one of the few pubs left in Liverpool. You know, an actual pub, not a bar, a pub. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, you've got kind of the Philharmonic halls up on Hope Street. Yeah, which is a, a pub. You've got a few places along Dale Street. Um, and then possibly Hanover Street. Yeah, I mean, there are still a few around, but they're certainly they're certainly lacking, aren't they, in this day and age? They're dying breed. We're, we're being slowly overtaken by fucking Weatherspoons. <laughs> well, um, I don't mind Weatherspoons so much. It's more the, the slug and lettuce crowds that tend to bother me the most. I mean, they're all gobshites anyway. Let's face it. <laughs> all pretentious. Um, oh, Jeffrey, look at it, look at this beer. Ch- chocolate flavored. Ch- costs seven pound forty a pint. <laughs> oh, that's a cheap beer, Ar- Archibald. Apparently, it is. Apparently. Um, so, do we have anything more to say about um, Banky as a character? I mean, I. I agree, I agree with you. I think he is one of the best characters in the film, um, apart from Hooper, who was just hilarious. And Hooper's, Hooper's hilarious, but I think Hooper's kind of because he's quite he's quite a few kind of anti stereotype characters built into one. Um, you know, he he is black, he is gay, and he's a comic book artist. He's the one that's got the most to fight against, I think. Yes. And he's he's just... Yeah. 
I don't know what more to say about him except that I would I'd probably want to hang about with him but yeah, I wouldn't would necessarily admit to it Hooper's a cool dude Banky I'd probably want to hang around with him but I wouldn't necessarily want to admit to it yeah um, it'd be the kind of guy where if somebody asks you what you're up to on Friday oh I'm busy yeah <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't go into details because you wouldn't want people to I'm I'm meeting Banky. Very fuss. That's <laughs> um, just I, I, just in case an old school any old school friend of mine listens to this. By the way, I used to go to school with a guy called Banky. Okay. And this is not the Banky I mean. The Banky I went to school with, I'd be more than happy to hang around with and let people know. <laughs> just want to clear that up. So the next person we need to speak about um, is the Joey La- the Joey Lauren Adams um, star um, playing Alyssa Jones, who, as I say, we did see in um, Mallrats. Yes. Gwen. Um, obviously playing a very different character. She's not the character we've seen before, and yet somehow we have. So we've already said that she is a beautiful, stunning young lady. Um, that perf- her voice and that performance. Yeah, I mean, she's often mistaken for uh, Renee Zellweger, and I don't know why. Because I think, what? yeah, because I think I think she's a, a far better looking woman. I mean, this was probably years ago that it happened. But I think she's a far better looking woman with uh, with a voice to die for. Oh gosh, yeah. and just her speaking voices. It it's bunny rabbits. <laughs> That's the only way I can think to describe it. It's just it's, it's soft and velvety bunny rabbits. It, it's like honey going down your throat. It is. I, I mean, she's she's a fascinating character in in this. As well, um, and she's very forthright. She's, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't mess around. She doesn't hold back uh, for fear of offending anyone, which I think is, is kind of the way you have to go if you're playing this character. I don't think you can really hold back. And I mean, there's, there's a scene where sitting on the swings yeah. between. Um, Ben Affleck and, and Joey Lauren Adams and they're talking about sex and fucking and you know penetration you've only got your fingers to use <laughs> oh god yes and she just she she demonstrates to him in a wonderfully graphic way of exactly how wrong he is um I and I th- I don't know if he rehearsed this much because the look on Ben Affleck's face looks genuine. I know what you mean. It it, it almost looks like he'd never even you know never even discussed that. And yeah. In in speaking of the scenes in the um on the swing set rather, I loved the conversation between the two of them when Ben Affleck kept on saying you know it's the standard it's the standard. And you can tell that she's starting to get a bit frustrated, but also a little bit like, oh, you poor thing. You, you just don't yeah. understand, do you? you? You spend all your life in the suburbs. You haven't really grown out of Jersey. Which I get the feeling. Because th- this, is, this is the very strange thing, I think, is 
because I've never been to New Jersey, I've never been to New York, but the feeling I've often gotten from people is that people in New Jersey really don't like people in New York, and people in New York really don't like new people in New Jersey, despite the fact that they're in the same state, and they don't seem to be that far apart. And yet... No, New Jersey's a different state. Oh, is it an entirely different state? Yeah. Yes, it I is. Because, so, anyway. it's got, because it's called the state of New Jersey. Of course it is. Um, um, plus, plus New Jersey's called the Garden State. Yes, it is. It's which, so is which is why we've got the, name, the film with the same name. I've never seen that. I should really give it a go. Uh, you should actually. It's, it's a good film. But anyway... Yes, um, you're right. You're right. Um, it's, it's, if you will, I think to draw a kind of local parallel you might be familiar with. I think New York looks at New Jersey the same way we look at Birkenhead. <laughs> well, hang on. Don't use the context of we there. I've never been to Birkenhead. I don't know anything about Birkenhead. I mean, carry on, but don't you include me I'm, in this. I'm using, I'm using that alliteratively to describe kind of people from Liverpool <laughs> as opposed to you and I. Okay, carry on. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's the kind of... And I think that goes in reverse as well. In that um, New Jerseyans or, or whatever they're called and kind of see themselves as, as a bit above, a bit better than New Yorkers. Um, and also, I think, a bit less inhibited. I think... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. Like, not not so much country hicks or anything, but... A, um, a bit backwards. No, no. Just less, a bit less worldly. Reserved. Yeah. Like, um... You know, they're 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 from a small town. They've never moved. They've possibly never moved on. I mean, that that's really sums up well. Um, you know, to go back going back to Clerks, it's summed up very well in Clerks, um, where they say, you know, you we're not going anywhere. You know, we're stuck in this hamster wheel. They don't actually say that, but they might as well have done. Um, and I think that sums up the the whole small town thing. I think um, a lot of that. Um, I was listening to what to one of his to, to one of Kevin Smith's podcasts last night where he talks about um, kind of when he was working at the RST video, this the st- same store that we see in Clerks, um, and being a really be, getting into movies and things like that. Um, uh, Richard Linklater's Slacker opened in New York. And it wasn't going to be shown on any of the in any of the local theatres, of which he had three to choose from. So kind of, he drove fifty miles into New York just to watch this movie. And um, he said, "You know, my friends were looking at me going, you drove fifty miles to watch a movie. <laughs> you went to New York.'" Uh, it was kind of an alien concept to them, and you are absolutely right in that a lot of Americans, I mean, a lot of them don't even travel outside their own their own state, never mind their own country. Um, quite a high part majority of Americans have never have never even owned the passport. Yeah, no, I can believe that, and I think part of it is that they possibly think, well, you know, do do we really have to? I mean. 
I, it, it always amazes me. Um, for example, you know, years ago, when I really didn't think about the drug of America, when they didn't, Americans didn't go to the big places that you would consider them to go to. And then when you find out the distance they have to t- actually travel, it's like, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. It's like another world for these people. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a lot even within America to visit. And I mean, I, th- I think at the times I've been, I've only been twice, but. It's two times more, more than quite a lot of people have been. Indeed. And, you know, the first time I was asked, where would you want to visit? I was like, shit, just one place. <laughs> you know? I mean, obviously I knew where that place was going to be, but um, kind of, for a lot of people, it, that would be a really difficult choice to make. You know, where would you visit? Um, yeah. You know, because you've got some, you know, you can stick to the north of the country and freeze your arse off depending on what time of year you're there. You know, you can go to kind of the south of the country and boil to death. <laughs> um, but to bring it back, because I'm, I'm, I'm lost. How did we get onto this from talking about Alyssa Jones? Uh, New Jersey. Yeah. Jersey um, versus New York. Small town mentality. Yeah, yeah. that's probably where this came from so okay uh yeah let's go right okay rewind um what did you think about her portrayal as a character and the emotion that she brought into the role there we go let's let's go let's go with that what did you think i thought she was brilliant um i mean leaving leaving aside my massive man crush for joey lauren adams for a moment (laughs) um I'm not afraid to say that, by the way. She is just wonderful. I don't think you've got uh, any reason to be ashamed of that. Um, leaving, leaving that aside, I, I think she is absolutely perfect for this role. Uh, Kevin Smith, at the time, was dating her and re- wrote this based on his experience of her, as I said. Um, I don't know quite how that manifested the difference between them. I'm... As I say, I'm guessing she wasn't lesbian. I think she was just more worldly because Kevin Smith at the time was still a kind of small-town Jersey boy who hadn't yet kind of experienced the wider world. So maybe that's just what it was, is that she had a bit more bit more life experience. But, God damn it, if she wasn't just perfect for this role. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, unlike... Um... And we'll cover this more in the next episode. But the the female who plays the female lead in Dogma, who frankly, I'm really not sure about her. I thought Linda Fiorentino. Thank you. Yeah, I thought Jerry Lloyd Adams really took this role, ran with it, made it her own, and made it fantastic. Yeah, I mean, as we discussed before, the studio originally wanted Drew Barrymore. Yes. In the in the role now, Drew Barrymore, folks, is a fine, fine actress, and she is another one of my guilty pleasures. Um, not going to deny it. She's she's a she's an attractive woman. She dated Marilyn Manson for a while. Did she? I believe so. Anyway, <laughs> um, but as fine an actress as she is, I could not see her in this role. I I just wouldn't I wouldn't believe it if it happened. If I, if I saw her in this role because it's it's Drew Barrymore I think that would have took us out of that sense of 
this being such a real story if, if she had been cast in the role. Um, Joey Lauren Adams, being as she was at the time, fairly unknown. She, she'd only had a couple of roles before this. Joey Lauren Adams, she could make you believe that, she, that this was her. So it kind of... It kind of Took it away from being kind of movies and almost made a documentary, in that it, she was believable. Yeah, I agree. I I completely agree. Um. Okay, David Schwimmer. Then who was he? I'm who was he? I'm assuming he was meant to be the Ben Affleck character. I hope not. But <laughs> saying say that, yeah, I mean. I, I, I don't know. Out of him and John Stewart, who would you put as Ben Affleck? Who, who was the other actor, sorry? John Stewart. Uh, remind me. The Daily was... Show. He, he, was the, uh, he was the first teacher to get eaten in um, our faculty, uh, the faculty. Oh, I've not seen that film in a long time. <laughs> uh, let me look up John Stewart because I really don't know anything about him. I've, I've never seen that program hang on the, the, the Daily Show I've never seen The Daily Show no oh he's not on it anymore no that can't be the same guy that was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off is there more than one Stewart Stewart oh hang on I think I'm looking up an J-O-N Stewart ah that's where I'm getting it wrong let's get rid of this ah oh, yes that's the bloke now what he was yeah. No. Yeah. I can't see him being in this. And neither could Kevin Smith, thankfully. I don't even know why he was recommended. I don't understand. Can you, but you can't understand why David Schwimmer was? Well, to an extent, because, you know, and and, and maybe this is because of the whole... Friends character he had, which to be fair was basically just a blatant rip off um, of the character in da -ba -da -ba -da -ba, The Graduate. But I can see that bumbling, nice guy who was only trying to do the right thing. I, I can kind of see that working in this film in a way, actually. No, no, I can't. I, I don't think that David Truman as is, is as bad an actor as people think he is. He's not a bad actor, but I just couldn't buy him in any of the roles in this. Mm. Um, maybe Hooper X. <laughs> what? Yeah. No. I mean, if you can't see if you can't see the characters that much, you know, let's, instead of a, instead of a black guy. Let's just make Hooper X Jewish. <laughs> I uh, okay. Let let let's let's briefly talk about Hooper. You know we because there is a bit to say about him. I don't really know what to say about him, but let's say a little bit about him. I couldn't. I really liked him. I've got to say, I I loved his character. I thought he was very funny. I thought his line delivery was perfect. Yeah, and I think he did a very. I think I think he was very good as as the as the fourth wheel, as it were, in this. I really enjoyed his his character. I really enjoyed as well. His little cameo at the end of Jane's Sound Bob Strike Back. Oh, when they're coming out of the cinema. 
After the cinema, yeah? Yes. Uh, I can't exactly remember what he says, but yes, he was very... Um, well, I, th- the- I think all he says at the end is just, oh, honey, to, uh, to Banky. Oh, that's right, yes. Because they walk out <laughs> together, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah. Um, I mean, going off a little bit, what did you think of... Would you think he could have replaced Chris Rock's character in Jane Silent Bob Strikes Back? Yes. Um, I think... If I think if he if he had replaced them, then it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. We would we certainly wouldn't have known until years later when we were reading IMDb trivia pages. Um, I could have I could have seen him quite easily, to be honest. In in Dogma, um, and f- funny story there is. A lot of that Chris Rock being it was was mainly because of Alan Rickman. Ah, oh, because of Dogma. Yeah, well, yeah, well, in Dogma, because he kind of looked at Alan Rickman and said, "Man, I've always wanted to cast him, <laughs> but there is no way, absolutely no way, Alan Rickman, because he's a proper actor. He's an actor. Oh, so there is no way Alan Rickman would ever be agree to be in my movie." Um, but somehow the script got to Rickman, and uh, word got back. Rickman really asked the script. Uh, give him a call. So um, Kevin Smith said he called him, and kind of got picked up. Hello, this is Alan Rickman. And he's like, Yeah, hello, dude. <laughs> um. And saying he really enjoyed the script. And actually, another bit of casting trivia for that. Um, and I will finish talking about Dogma after this. <laughs> is God was originally to be played by Emma Thompson. Oh, uh, not... Um, not not, not Alanis Morissette. Yeah. Because um, Alan Rickman said, who have you got cast as God? And Kevin Smith said, well, I, I haven't really cast anyone. So I can get Emma Thompson for you if you want. He's like, dude, are you serious? Fucking <laughs> yeah, Emma Thompson is god. And um, she decided on to live it. But by the time we came round to actually filming, she was pregnant. So she said, you know, I'm going to have to duck out. So that's how Alanis got the gig. I mean, she didn't have that much role to play to it. But, you know, she wasn't terrible ultimately, to be fair. Um, okay, so do we really have much more to say? Do, do, we, do we want to start summing up on this? Because, I mean, we, we've not spoken for nearly as long as we would normally do. But, um, again, I think it's because it is such a simple storyline. It it's, an, it's, it's an incredibly simplistic story, but it's an incredibly powerful story, I think. And it, it's um, wonderfully told not, and wonderfully put together. Yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not talking about Schindler's List here, but... You know, it it has got a story to tell. He tells it incredibly well. It's a story of of love gone wrong. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I still think it's one of Smith's best. Simply, because I, I think it's, it's so a, different. I think it is his best, to be honest. Um, I mean, I love the man's work. I love yeah. all of his movies. And um, I'm greatly looking forward to Moose Jaws. 
I still need with, to get around to watching uh, the other film. Um, who's here? Is it Who's here? Tusk. Tusk, that's it. Yeah. Tusk and Yoga Hoses. I need to get that done at some point. If only for Johnny Zepp's uh, wonderful performance. We, we will and do that. You for, can come for once, and watch it. For once, I'm not talking about Johnny Depp, ironically. <laughs> you leave Johnny Depp alone. Um, but yeah, Moose Jaws, which is... It's Jaws with a moose. Moose. It's, that's, that's what it is. It's literally Jaws with a moose. Fair play. <laughs> um, well... I, I, I'm actually on the IMDb page for it, and the description is, like Jaws, but with a moose. That's the description on IMDb. Fair play. Fair play. <laughs> well... I think that's as good a time as any to stop. So we will do, I think. Um, so, unless you've got anything more to say, Mike, or should we call it time? I think we should call it time. And I'm just going to say um, to anyone listening, if you haven't seen this, go out and watch it. It is a, it is a really nice love story. It's, I mean, it's fucked up because ultimately that's what the characters are. The characters are flawed and they're very human and they make mistakes, which... I think we all do from time to time. But this is one of the most honest, heartfelt films I have ever seen. It's one that I still love. Um, I used to have the poster for this movie and for Dogma side by side on my bedroom wall um, many, many years ago. And um, I'd still have them on my bedroom wall. I would still have them. I still have this in my collection somewhere. Um, and it's just a great film to watch. It, it, it's not going to going to test you, test you mentally or in any way. But it's it's worth what I mean. It's it's what two hours long, I think. Uh, just under two hours, yeah. About an hour and fifty three. But it's it's worth watching. Worth watching if you want a a simple. Boy meets yeah an hour and fifty three. If you want a simple boy meets lesbian romance, this is your movie. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, this has been Sunday afternoon cinema with me, Christopher Windsor, and him, Mike Lockin. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, please consider following us on SoundCloud and SoundCloud rather, and subscribing on iTunes. Please also give Iconicomatic a listen to. It's where me and Derek discuss. Uh, more modern films and what you can actually see in the cinema and we give our opinions on what we listen to we can also be found on facebook and now on twitter so please consider following us aren't we all that modern and all that jazz um i hope you've enjoyed listening to us rambling about this film our twitter handle folks is at sunday cinema it's Sunday underscore there? cinema, there sorry. Is a, there is an underscore, isn't it? Re- it's annoying that I couldn't choose one without an underscore. It was really annoying. We, we couldn't not have that. So, yeah, it's at Sunday underscore cinema. Um, yeah, also, and... watch this space for our website. Hopefully, coming soon. Yes, we need to talk about this some more. Um, so, yeah, we will finish there. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you once again for joining us, Mike. Uh, thank you for having me, Chris. You're more than welcome. And enjoy, enjoy your Sunday, folks. It's Thursday night here, but it's Sunday where you are. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Bye. You have been listening to Sunday Afternoon Cinema, which is a recorded podcast. The podcast was hosted by myself and Mike Blackman. 
The podcast was recorded, produced and edited by myself, Christian Williamsburg. If you've liked what you've heard, please consider subscribing on iTunes or following on SoundCloud. Thank you for listening.